So, <clears throat> I'll say the word prostitution. And when I say that, that hopefully gets your attention. So, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about faith, of course. That's what we've been in. But faith, it's growing faith. Faith, it's deeper faith. Faith that is... Uh, you know, applied to very difficult situations, let's say, uh, despite your uh, past uh, difficulties or present difficulties, uh, as I shift around here. Uh, but faith that is uh, not certainly, let's say, um, epic, fantastic, you know, everybody's just awed by it type of thing, but rather uh, faith that is recognized by God as absolutely worthy. Uh, or valuable to him. So um, I want to talk about the deeper faith of Rahab. So uh, that we should know is, of course, that she is probably one of the best-known prostitutes in the Bible. And, uh, uh, you know, it's that kind of a situation. So, uh, however, is we need to understand the word prostitution. Of course, a lot of people will say, well, that's the... Um, oldest profession in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm here to say that even though there are, let's say, wanton women, there are wanton men. Amen? It's, uh, it's that kind of a understanding. So, uh, today's Rahab, well, I could say today's Rahab uh, could also be called the Roxanne of uh, today. Uh, some of you may remember, you don't have to put the red light on, you don't have to sell your body to the night, that would be Sting, which some of you are like, I don't know, that's old, but anyhow, uh, I, I still like it. Anyhow, that's a song, but also know that uh, in as much as we use the word talking about prostitutes today, they could just as easily be sex trafficked women who are uh, very caught up in very... Uh, difficult uh, circumstances way beyond their control. And, and at Summit, we are a people that I'm grateful for who support those who minister to those individuals. So it's very much something for us to be aware of. But understand something very important here as we uh, start off here, that although Rahab's reputation was sort of as a ruined woman, she still had a response to her difficult circumstances that totally set her apart from uh, everything else. Uh, also, she uh, was a woman who was set apart as having faith that was recognized by God. That's pretty incredible. Um, so, what about you? What about me? What about your faith? What about my faith? Uh, you know, how is it seen? How is it understood? Uh, do you sometimes feel like you're damaged goods? Sometimes do you wonder, uh, well, you know, could I ever be used by God? I mean, really? Could I still be used by God? Or maybe something like, uh, is my faith good enough for God? Is it really measure up to all these other amazing people who preach on Sundays? And I'm not one of them, by the way, but, you know, could, could my faith hold up to all of that? Well, if you are feeling any of those feelings, um, I'm here to say that you are welcomed in this house because so do a lot of us feel the same way. 
Okay, we're all very much in the same boat on this one. So, so with that in view, uh, I want to leave you or give you a point, let's say, or a takeaway that hopefully you can hang on to that will, when you leave here, that will settle in for you. And it's this, deeper faith is applying what you definitely believe about God to what you desperately do for him. Uh, again, a deeper faith is applying what you definitely believe about God to what you desperately do for Him. Anyone here arrived yet? Faith? Anybody? Any takers? Anyone? Or, or are you like me still growing in your faith? Say yes or whatever, something. Okay, so that's, that's where we're at. So here we're in this series called Deeper Faith. And uh, Pastor Travis started that uh, uh, series about three months ago. He's coming back, by the way. Yay. Pastor Travis is coming back. I did this in the first service. I had to kind of coach you a little bit. But uh, when I say Pastor Travis is coming back, you say? Yay. Thank you very much. Okay. So uh, that is exactly what we're praying and hoping for. But while he's been away on sabbatical, we're supposed to still be going deeper in our faith, growing in faith. That's what we're supposed to be. So, um, you know, last week Dylan spoke to us. Others have spoken to us as well. Pastor Ian, Stacy, Pastor Russ, Dan, myself. We've all been focusing on one particular chapter, Hebrews 11, going through it part by part, looking at the various uh, people mentioned in Hebrews that speak to us about faith. And hopefully through this, Yes, you're going to see some very stellar people, and let's say not so stellar people, and we can find ourselves in there, hopefully, along the way. So no matter, uh, you know, what kinds of situations we've been in, our faith matters. And that's, that's where Pastor Travis started uh, way back, his first sermon on this series. He said, faith is confident obedience to go the, no matter the consequences or the circumstance. Uh, faith is confident obedience to go no matter the consequences, no matter the circumstances. I had a chance a while ago to speak about Abraham, uh, and what I said is that deeper faith is faith that is tested through action. Uh, deeper faith is faith is tested through action. So what about you, for instance? What about uh, your faith? Does your faith such as it is, does it matter to God? Well, yes, it does. So that's what we're going to look at right here with Rahab. And uh, I was only given one verse in this particular uh, uh, verse 31. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Awesome. What a text. Yes. So I didn't win the lottery on that one, but that's the verse, okay? So um, he, uh, there is a story behind that verse, though. So we need to consider Rahab's story, and Rahab's story is incredibly important to us. Some of us know that story. Uh, it's found in the Old Testament in uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 2. So open up your Bibles if you have them handy or your app or whatever you've got, whatever device works for you. Um, and we'll look at this. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert as we dive in that 
this is a long text okay, for us to look at. So what I want you to do is as we look through it, please listen for, look for some gems that might pop out at you like, hmm, that's interesting or I wonder why that was said or boy, maybe you'll see it again for the first time. Okay, so uh, Joshua 2, beginning with verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim. There I said it. Okay. Uh, it's one of those names that you go like, I'm glad I don't live there. I don't know what the meaning of the name is, and I'm not going to go into it. But I'm just going to tell you that that location is directly across from Jericho. Uh, across the Jordan River. So today it would be like being in Jordan, okay, and you're supposed to just go across the river right over to where Jericho is. So uh, Joshua sent these two spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So stop right there. Uh, there are some... There is some evidence, for instance, that the word in Hebrew for uh, prostitute here could mean innkeeper. Nice. Uh, less evidence that that's the case, but just letting you know that. Uh, so here's the point of that, my mentioning that. It doesn't matter whether it's an inn or a brothel. If you are a spy to go find out what people are talking about, you go to a place where everybody is mixing in with everybody else and you remember the world war ii expression loose lips sink ships right so why not go there that's more likely the reason that they went there than what some of you are thinking and, we're, and i'm not going there and it was told to the king of jericho uh verse two behold the men of israel uh, have come here tonight to search out the land then the king of jericho sent to rahab saying Quote, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. I noted something here that's kind of interesting. It must mean that the king also has spies. It's that kind of espionage kind of thing. So there is a place where people come in and mingle and where spies can come in and find out stuff. So if you have some counter spies there on the king's side, you can see who's wandered in and what they might be saying and then get back to the king that's kind of what's happening here so the king's spies come back and say there were two guys that just came into this place and they aren't like us and i think they're spies and all of this kind of stuff so basically rahab sends these guys back and says go tell rahab bring these guys out so rahab's in a real mess real mess what's she gonna do so we're gonna find out what she does Verse 4, but the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was uh, yeah, about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Now, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Is she telling the truth? The answer is no. Totally lying, okay? Uh, she's a liar. Uh, she's deceptive, okay? Let's say in this context, she's very deceptive, uh, very clever, perhaps. 
And then she, verse 6 says she takes them up the roof and hides them out up there. I'm passing over that stuff. But verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, quote, I know that the Lord, okay, that word Lord there in a lot of places in the Old Testament, if it's all capital letters, usually means in the Hebrew, it's written for Yahweh or Y-H-W-H, which is the personal name of God. So she's in effect saying, not any God, she's saying Yahweh. Okay, that's what she's saying here. So she says, I know that Yahweh, your God, the God of Israel, has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Uh, and then down to verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. Basically, she's talking about you know, the people crossing the Red Sea and the other kings were taken out. I mean, they've heard all this stuff. She says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for Yahweh, your God, the Lord. He is God in the heavens and above and the earth beneath. Now, stop right there. That's very important intelligence right there. I don't know if you think about that, but it's very, very important intelligence. She... Uh, or hears, or she says something that these spies can really take home and talk about. Uh, and then she then turns to them and says, in effect, I'm going to paraphrase it, um, my family is in the house. Is it possible, please, could you protect them and make it such that we will not be taken out with the rest? And then at verse 14, uh, the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then what the Lord gives us the land, we'll deal kindly and faithfully to you. So call it a pact. Call it a covenant. It's sort of like, um, tell you what, if I give you this information, will you protect my family? Will you make sure that we don't get taken out like everybody else? And they said, well... I'll tell you what, uh, if we don't, we die. <laughs> I mean, that's a serious, comp that's, a, that's a total bond. The word, the word was her bond, and so that's how it was. And then she let them down the rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Now, I don't know about you, but when I used to hear this story, <clears throat> I used to visualize, and maybe VeggieTales does it too, uh, but this high wall, and uh, it's kind of like built like a medieval castle, and you know, there's, nobody's gonna, don't visualize that kind of wall. Sometimes they would, the outer houses would literally be part of the wall. So that's the situation. But what's important is verse 16, and she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until pursuers have returned. Then answer, then afterward you may go uh, your own way uh, after the pursuers have returned. Now, I didn't used to think of this, but basically, where did she tell them to go? She tell them to take the highway back home? Where did she tell them to go? To the hills. The opposite direction. So she's sending the king's men down the highway to catch up with these bad guys, quote-unquote. Uh, but she actually sends them the opposite direction to the hills. Pretty clever. She knows that those guys aren't going to find them, and they'll get discouraged and come back and stop pursuing, and that's what she's after. 
So it's pretty clever. Okay, that goes on. And then verse 21, uh, right down there, she says, according to your words, so be it. Uh, so basically, she has said to them uh, this deal. The men, the spies said, look, we're going to do what you ask. We're going to make sure that you're fine. Keep your, your family in the house. Nobody's going to get hurt. And when we take out this city, you guys are going to be saved. And so verse 21, she said, according to your word, so be it. Then uh, sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord to the window. Now, that's cool because she's kept her part of the deal. Now it's up to them to do theirs. They depart, go to the hills, they hide out, and then they return. It says there in verse 23, the two men returned not to Jericho. They returned to base. They returned to with all this intelligence because they're going to tell Joshua. Joshua, uh, here's this. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord, verse 24, and the Lord has given us all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land will melt away because of, of us. So think of it this way. They're saying, look, we've, we've heard the inside. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's really not confident. And so when we take over the city, they're going to be already freaking out over it. So the question is, is that the end of the story? The answer is no, it's not the end of the story. And uh, Dylan took us there uh, last week in Joshua 6. So, you know, many of you know the rest of the story. They go around the city once every day. One time, the troops go around the city quietly walking, not saying a thing. That would freak me out. I don't know about you can visualize that if I'm in, inside looking outside, not looking good. But on the seventh day, something happens. Uh, uh, Joshua and the troops uh, get up early in the day, verse 15, march around the city in the same manner. And this is, it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And then verse 16, and all uh, on the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, take them. Now he said, shout, for God has given us, okay, this particular city. And... Then he gives some very clear, very specific instructions. He says this. He said, uh, all that's in the city will be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Now, that's our English translation, but it's, it's actually a word that means it's kind of a, a religious warfare term, meaning, look, in this kind of deal, there are no spoils for the victors. Just everything in the city is the Lord's, period, not yours, not ours. And uh, so basically, then he turns to the spies in verse 22 and says to the two men, the spies, go, and I'm going to paraphrase this, go in, get the prostitute, her family, take them out of the, the house, keep them safe, and then skip over to verse 25, which is interesting. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all that belonged to her, Joshua, say, were saved alive. And then we read, and she has lived in Israel to this day. Now that is incredible. So the person writing this text wrote it at the same time that Rahab was still living. So this is like a living witness testimony here. So let me just say this, what are some observations that we can get about Rahab? 
lest we just use the term Rahab the prostitute. How about this one? She's an outcast, uh, first of all. Outcast, she has three strikes against her in Jewish society. First of all, she was a woman. That was a strike against her in many in that society. Also, she was a Gentile, a Canaanite, Amorite, uh, non-Jewish woman. Uh, She was also, thirdly, a sinner. She was a uh, harlot, as the uh, light English translation, she was a prostitute. Kind of like the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? And same kind of situation. Uh, But she was also very notable. Notable in this way. Not the usual way. She was... If you look at the uh, uh, genealogy of Jesus, uh, his... The whole thing, there are only four women that are listed in the genealogy. Very odd, because usually genealogies would be all men. There are actually four women mentioned, and she is one of them. So uh, think of uh, it's Tamar, Ruth, and Bathsheba are the other three. So two of them are already known as sinners, are already known as outsiders, sexually impure. She was also very deceptive, okay? So she was an outcast, she was notable, but she was very deceptive. Deceptive, uh, uh, call it a white lie. But when is it appropriate? Think about this. Maybe you've been in this situation. When is it appropriate to not give the exact answer? Some of us as kids wrestle with that one. My mother used to ask me, she'd she'd say, did you have a cookie when I came home? She came home and saw that the jar was much lower. I used to stack the cookies up around the front. She'd ask me, did you have a cookie? Ah, boy, moment of truth right there. You know what I would say? I would say, yes, I had a cookie. Now, you should follow up with how many cookies did you have? My mother never followed up with that one, okay? So it's a little deceptive. Uh, Is Rahab being deceptive here to spare her family out of loyalty and love? Is she deceptive to save someone, maybe her guest? That's Eastern hospitality, by the way. You're supposed to do that. Um, Is she there to help someone? Is she merciful to the people of God? I don't know. Um, Think of the dilemma of uh, Anne Frank. Anybody here read the Diary of Anne Frank in school? Okay. What uh, situation she was in. Or Corrie Ten Boom, you know, during the Holocaust. You know, when do you tell the truth? When do you not tell the truth? That kind of situation. But she was very wise, okay? So she might have been deceptive, but she was very wise. She could see the bigger picture all going on when all the people around her were just focused on the small picture. I'm sure some of you are like, yeah, that's my problem all the time. Uh, I'm seeing the big picture, but everybody's focused on me, myself, and I right here, small picture. Uh, And she had the wisdom to cleverly deal with very complex situations. Okay, and she's literally doing this on the fly here. Um, kind of like Abigail. I don't know if you know the Abigail in the Old Testament that David went back to. And, and Abigail had a husband. Anybody know what the husband's name was or translation? He was the fool. <laughs> Some of you go like, yeah, I got one too. No, but uh, uh, anyhow, uh, Abigail was like that in the Old Testament. She was very courageous. Finally, she acted boldly at great risks. She did the right thing at great cost. 
kind of like Jael or Esther in the Old Testament. But two significant observations that I think for us right here, right now, are important that we could think of Rahab, make some observations, go like, that could be me. That could be me right now, possibly, okay? So the um, first one is this. Her faith was tested and recognized by God as she applied it to her life situation. So think of it this way. The faith that she had, she applied it to her life situation. God recognized that, okay? And second of all, she was used of God in a significant way despite her, let's call it, uh, current social condition, okay? Uh, I don't know what your social condition is. I know what mine is, and uh, it's kind of incredible that God can still use us in the middle of our situations, right where we are. So I think that's an observation of her. So now, is that the end of Rahab's story? Uh, just about, but not quite. Rahab the prostitute, as she's called, she's still called that today, by the way, Rahab the prostitute. Uh, her past is not forgotten, yet still, still, still she is remembered by God. And also, she is recognized for her faith uh, by God in several places, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. That's pretty amazing. And I would even say, finally, that she right here uh, is recounted by us now at Summit Church 2019. Stunning. Stunning. This unknown woman, a prostitute in a situation, is still remembered, thought of by God, first of all, but also by us today. Um, so what about your story? What about your faith? Is it just as epic? Doubt it. <laughs> Mine isn't. Turn to somebody next to you and say, my faith or, is not epic. Say, my faith is not epic. Go ahead, turn to somebody and say, my faith is not epic. <laughs> Some of you are going like, got that one right. No, uh, it's true. Uh, it isn't. But listen, your story is not, it's not about your story being epic, okay? It's about your story being part of God's greater epic story, right? Amen? And also in terms of your faith, it's this way. Uh, your faith is, it's not about your faith being epic. It's about your Faith being part of God's greater epic plan. Okay, your faith being part of God's greater epic plan. So some of you may be sitting here going like, oh, I don't know about my faith or I don't know about my story and get off of it, okay? Just trust that God wants to use your story. He wants to use your faith, period, okay? It's up to God to decide whether you're epic enough or not. And then, uh, so with that in view, Rahab, she was a desperate woman. She, I mean, she was really desperate. Circumstances were crazy. I mean, she's living in a, a place that was all messed up. It was twisted. In fact, she, from her perspective, the end was really near, okay? She was very desperate. But in, in that place of desperateness, what little she knew about 
the Lord, about Yahweh, about God, what very precious little she knew about God, uh, that was enough. That was enough for her. She was definite. That was enough, okay? Uh, and then she actively put or placed her faith in that God or in the God, in Yahweh, uh, and in the people of God. Uh, she did that as well. So deeper faith is applying what you definitely know about God to what you desperately do for God, okay, uh, to do for him. So don't miss this point, please, uh, and that's Rahab's circumstances. Uh, they demanded that she take action. We're in circumstances right now. I don't know what yours are. I know what mine are. But it really demands that we take action right now with it, okay? And she did. So what about your difficult circumstances? So what you find yourself in right now? And some of you may be saying, ah, oh, but wait a second, I'm a nobody. I, I don't, I mean, I'm nobody. Or maybe you're thinking, uh, who's going to believe me, really? I mean, really? Who's going to believe me? Or maybe you're thinking, I've already made a mess of things. I'm already damaged goods. I'm already there. Listen, I, I just uh, a couple of weeks ago went to, uh, and my wife is here and I can say that, oh, I went back to where I grew up, our summer uh, compound camp there in Central New York State. Um, I went back to the area where I grew up. I'm here to say that uh, people would be shocked, some of them, to, to think of me as a pastor today. If I was back there in my hometown, it would be that way. Uh, and I can honestly say, too, that some people are still living today that could attest to that fact of being shocked. Okay, so I went back there, and that was good to see and good to meet people and hang out with them. And I'm grateful that I'm not what I was then, okay? But my faith certainly wouldn't have impressed God then uh, at all would have made no impression on him, but that doesn't matter. So uh, it wouldn't have pleased him at all, doesn't matter, because what God wants me to do now, what God wants you to do now, is what really matters. So your story, big or little, doesn't matter. What matters is that God knows you. God's working in you right now. So what about your faith? We're told that, you know, it's impossible to please God without faith. Oh, that's wonderful. So I guess I should believe in anything, right? I should believe in a rock. I should believe in religion. I should believe in Pastor Travis. Oh, no. He'd be the first one to say, no, you don't. Uh, that's not it. Uh, you're not to believe in anything. Faith in Jesus Christ as crucified Savior, as resurrected Lord. I mean, the whole, you know, what you confess with your mouth, what you believe with your heart does matter. Okay, so don't, don't miss what I'm saying. That does matter. Truly, it does. But faith in obedience, in action, is what really counts, okay? Uh, people say all the time, oh, I believe this, or oh, I, I believe that. Well, great. Does it change you one whit? Does it make any difference? Uh, 
but if you apply what you believe to what you do in life, that's what really matters, okay? Uh, faith and action. So what, what you believe is important, true, but what you do with it shows the importance of what you value, okay? Um, such is faith that God recognizes, that he knows. So uh, what, uh, did you hear me rightly in that, by the way? I, I, let me just repeat it again. What you believe about God is important. What you do with it shows the importance of what you believe about him, okay? Such is faith that God values. So in Hebrews 11, we're told, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things we have not yet seen. So Abraham believed and was credited to him as righteousness. Awesome. Rahab also believed and she was considered justified. So theirs was faith in action. Say faith in action faith in action. That's what it is. So in the New Testament then, um, you've got a passage, we won't go into it, but in James 2, 20 through 25, you've got the brother of Jesus saying some pretty specific words about faith, faith that really matters. And in fact, he says, um, your faith without works is dead. Now, that's pretty, pretty tough. But what he's saying, what good is faith if you don't put it into action? What good is faith if you don't apply it to your everyday life? And that's why we're here to worship the Lord, but also to continue on the process of applying what we believe to God in, and uh, in our life situations. But then James goes on to talk about Abraham, and then he goes on to talk about, believe it or not, Rahab the prostitute in the New Testament. So listen, works or being a good person gets you nowhere with God, gets you nowhere. You know, uh, I do, uh, I'm a good person or I do such great works, uh, uh, you know, that, that gets you nowhere with God. But your faith in action does. Applying your faith uh, to your life situation, applying the, your faith in Him, that does, okay? So... Uh, Jesus Christ, by the way, we sing about Jesus being the only one worthy. He is. His work on the cross for your sins and my sins, for you, for me, for... He's the only one worthy of the work, okay? Not, not me, not us, okay? So, so know that. Uh, and, and also, I would say that his work for you, for me, for all of us, uh, that was the work that, uh, well, it, it's good enough. Good enough for you. Good enough for me. Yeah, but what about my past? I'm good enough for your past. Good enough for your present. Good enough. He's worthy, okay? So let me just say this. Whatever your sin is in your life, whatever it was, whatever it is now, what does your faith have to say? What does your faith have to say? Is your faith growing? Is it going deeper? Are you... Have you been learning things about God while Pastor Travis is away, more about God that you know now than you knew, say, three months ago? That's the process of growth. That's what Pastor Travis is going to be interested in. 
He, he doesn't want to know, have you held the fort while he's been away? He's trusting that you've been listening to God and applying your faith and everything else over these months, just as he has, and that all of us, all of Summit and everyone, it, we're, we're going to be moving forward in our faith. That's what counts. And know this, I'm going to say this, wrapping it up, is that, you know, something God loves you. He loves your heart far, far better than you can love it yourself. He loves your heart far better than you can love your heart. He loves you far better than you can love yourself. So know that. Is your faith growing deeper uh, with every day? Uh, is your faith being applied to your everyday situation? Remember this, that deeper faith is applying what you definitely believe. Definitely believe about God to what you are desperately doing for God, before God, every single day. Listen, I believe, I do. I apply my faith every day, and I'm not good at it. I'm really not good at it. If you ask me later how, how, good, how happy in Jesus are you, and you ask me in the evening, <laughs> you're not going to get a happy answer, okay? So that doesn't matter, does it? Because what matters is what God has given me, what God has given you, that you apply it to your circumstances and situation. Uh, you know, you may be desperate. Well, so are a lot of other people to your left and right desperate. But are you applying what you believe to those circumstances? So you need Jesus. I do. I need him to bring me through every day. Same with you. Let's pray.